To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. So I guess that's 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 a long way around of saying there's a kind of conventional story about intellectual property, which is that it's it's essential if markets are going to produce information, because otherwise we're not going to get enough money put into the producing of, of things like drugs and vaccine. Of course, one obvious answer to that is, well, let's not rely so much on markets because it has all the downsides. <laughs> Um, and it turns out when you scratch the surface, you see that we don't actually rely so much on markets. In fact, people may or may not be familiar with how much public money went into the COVID vaccines, for example, and how much, in fact, public management even went into the COVID vaccines, uh, kind of helping the co- companies figure out how to design tests that showed what we wanted to, to, to you know, to learn and, and so forth and sort of pushing them through the regulatory process. So the public is enormously involved, particularly uh, for the most important um, diseases and interventions. And um, and we see lots of problems of uh, with the sort of market-led way of developing these things. Um, a big part of that, you know, uh, what I've spent a long time thinking and, and, and studying is about the sort of mismatch between market demand, quote-unquote, and <laughs> public health needs. So around the world, you know, you don't see big demand for Ebola vaccine, other kinds of interventions until, and there's like literally one of my favorite things I used to teach with was an onion headline that said, you know, Ebola vaccine, 14 white people away, you know? Um, <laughs> and it really was true. Actually, it was, I almost got the number right. Like how many people in the North uh, had to die of Ebola before we got investment in an Ebola vaccine. So, so we, there's some real downsides of the existing model with a lot of public research and then private kind of property at the end of it. Um, and, and so a lot of what I've been interested in is, is sort of what are the opportunities to leverage uh, what, that we have, the institutions we already have that publicly fund a lot of research to bring more emphasis to the areas of, of, of need that otherwise aren't met well in markets and also to bring more equity to accessing the, the things at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, in the context of the COVID therapeutics, I think this is the most tragic, right? Which is that the COVID therapeutics were initially part of the request um, in the TRIPS waiver. And now the TRIPS agreement was really a way of like requiring countries to award patents and sort of recognize patents across uh, nations at this international level. And in terms of COVID therapeutics, which ultimately the TRIPS waiver was initially requesting um, sharing technology and information relating to not just the vaccines, but COVID therapeutics as well. The fact that, you know, essentially so many of those therapeutics have become not effective anymore due to the fact that we've had Immunescape, we've had these kind of moments of creating selective pressure through the fact that the virus is spreading and we're not... um, maximizing distributing vaccines and therapeutics to people were instead sort of prioritizing the um, IP relationship first and and sort of getting people access to quote unquote access to vaccines like is a, a secondary priority in this. And, you know, the selective pressure that has made these therapeutics not as effective anymore, sometimes like not effective at all, is really just caused by increased spread that all of these uh, quote-unquote technologies and products could have themselves helped to slow down. So it's a kind of, you know, it's a really frustrating um, kind of knot to untie and sort of look at in terms of the pandemic because you can sort of see how some of these relationships to property and capital that we're so committed to or accustomed to, you know, how they're actually really 
not just sort of passive agents in vaccine apartheid or the pandemic, but really kind of like active agents in perpetuating the spread of COVID in the kind of abandonment of the broad population and of the idea of global public health as a goal. And that that ultimately in and of itself is is a driver of the pandemic. And it, it can be very frustrating and feel very dark. And that's why I appreciate your work, because more broadly, the, the work that you did before the pandemic really, I think, helps you see through and sort of understand why these relationships exist and, and really how TRIPS even got there. And why, you know, this the kind of TRIPS waiver at all being the focus of the pandemic um, and not all the other strategies, which, as you mentioned, there are like many other ways that uh, this could be done and many flexibilities within TRIPS itself. You know, it, it kind of stands in as this excuse as to why things uh, don't happen. But, you know, in, in the kind of broader sense, it's also these relationships like perpetuate the public health crisis that we're living through right now. Yeah, and it, it's very, it, it's really um, profoundly maddening when you come at this from the perspective of, of of a health advocate or activist, and you can see that we have these technologies, which particularly in the context of communicable diseases, often, you know, treating or preventing disease for one person has these enormous benefits for other people. And you see that the way that we manage technologies, given the kind of presumption of kind of market dominance over these technologies is just really incompatible with a public health approach. And, you know, as I said, I've been in this field for long enough to see this with disease after disease after disease, right? So the same kind of concerns about HIV that you had a sort of out of control pandemic that, you know, in fact, it turns out that antiretroviral drugs actually also stop transmission of HIV and that you, you shouldn't, even though there was enormous public investment in those technologies, it took us an incredibly long time to, um, and a lot of activist work and pressure to get to a point where, you know, even after the companies had made tens of billions of dollars on these drugs, more than compensating them for whatever investments they had made, um, you know, we really couldn't start to use them the way doctors and public health professionals wanted to for, for a really long time. And we're still in a situation with COVID where we can't use these technologies the way public health professionals and doctors would. And you, again, you get, you know, you get told these stories about how it has to be this way. I think one of the things that I learned from, from working on this issue over these many years is that this industry, which is described as so kind of uh, willing to take risks and pathbreaking and innovative <laughs> is actually extremely risk averse and conservative when it comes to its own profit model. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes, and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the Death Panel.